Hello Pod Squad. Our live recording on the 20th of March is now available for booking. We are super excited about this. Fiona and I will be at the Wanstead Tap in East London at 7.30 on the 20th of March with our guest, the author Leo Hollis, uh, to talk all things Mary Davis. You can find the link to our tickets on our website and on our social media. You'll need a password to access it at the start, which is London 20, although shortly it will be going to just open public sale. Uh, So if you want to get in there quick and come and join us on the 20th of March, we would love to see you. Go and find the Eventbrite link on our website. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the podcast that takes a light-hearted look at lesser-known London stories with your own personal blue badge professional tourist guides. She's Fiona. And she's Alex. And this is the Ladies in London podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Hello. Hi, Fee. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm sorry. I haven't been out the house much today. I'm, I'm oh. a bit kind of way. <laughs> oh, a bit, bit too more happy. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. It's it's kind of midwinter, isn't it? And that that the the urge to get out of the house, even though you need to, is very much not. It's not happening, is yeah. it? It's, I just want to. Well, sit it's also with... there's, there's too much. I've got I've got loads of admin to catch up on. I've got yeah. the looming tax return but why do we always leave it so late self-employed people out there why do we always leave it to january and don't one lie year. if you say you do it before january no, no, don't one lie year, one one year i didn't one year i was doing it was in this zone i was thinking oh god i gotta do my tax return and then i looked i'd already done it wow yeah only oh, once the, the joy <laughs> once yeah and then i went oh this is brilliant i must do this every year i've got my company accounts to do as well it's it's the oh. whole thing it's it's ah. But anyway, yeah. once we're through January, it'll then just be depressing February, and um, and then it's a slide towards summer. Hurrah, hurrah! I've got a feeling summer's <laughs> going to come early. It's it's already it it's might. already you know there's jobs coming in things for you know March and June it's and stuff. A, a so big year this year. We're busy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. And gang, if any of you are thinking of coming to London this summer, let's know. It'd be mm-hmm. lovely to hear from you. Um, whether or not you come and do a tour, you know, if you're coming, just let us know. We're around. We can tell you where we are. You can come and stalk us. Um, <laughs> come meet you for a coffee. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's a gin and tonic. Um, yeah. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> well, we mentioned last week after Fiona's uh, great chat about phone boxes and, and kind of the iconic yeah, street furniture of London um, that I'm actually away at the moment. So this is a <gasps> super meta thing. This is not Ooh. me. I'm speaking Ooh. from the past. I'm on ah, holiday. I mean, it won't way. be a holiday. I'm, I'll be in, I'm in Portugal with a friend, um, just well, visiting a friend. And I mean, I'm blatantly <laughs> going to be working from over there, but never mind. It'll be fine. Um, but I'm going to go somewhere that is marginally less cold than the UK. And which, spend some which time bit? with some dogs. It's Ooh, in the countryside. Nice. So it's by the coast. Oh, okay. So I'm going to do a little bit of swimming in the sea. 
and nice yeah just yeah. dog walks and things happy days so hopefully as you're listening to this that's exactly what i'm doing although if you're listening in the evening i'm probably half cut let's <laughs> My friend who and I'm going to see is not she she does she doesn't skimp on the on the booze. Okay. She's very generous. Yeah. So never never if, shall your glass be empty. If you're listening in Australia, then Alex is already half cut. Yes. <laughs> Especially <laughs> it's the morning. <laughs> oh yeah, at breakfast. That's what I was Exactly. Yeah. Breakfast yeah. drinking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Right. Well, this okay. week um, but you're chatting be before me. you go. Yes, I'm chatting before I go, but um, it's me this week and I'm going to talk about... Now, this is someone who, if you've been on my Harlots tour, I have mentioned, and I mentioned that there's a very small link between last week and this week. Now, it's been a while for this version, outing of of this version of me, but we're doing sexy history again, sort of sexy history. We're going back to the Georgian era um, for somebody who is tangentially involved in the Georgian sex trade which is a topic that I absolutely love. I love my Harlot store. It's so much fun. Um, there's some really interesting stuff there and it, it ruins Covent Garden for everybody. And I'm happy with that because everyone knows it is a place of, you know, oh, lovely shopping. And I'm like, let me tell you about all the filthy stuff that used to go on around here. It's brilliant. But I'm going to tell you about a, a, a lady who has been really interesting to me for quite some time now, a lady called Mole King. Have you heard of Mole King? Well... I think, I think possibly just like a couple of weeks ago where you said Reginald Bray and I went, oh, I know. Oh, no, I don't know Reginald Bray. I think, right. I think I have heard of Mulking, but I'm not sure I've heard of this one. Right. So there are, there are a couple and, uh, well, two major ones. I mean, the name Mole, well, Mulking, you know, Mole was a very popular name in the Georgian era. In fact, her name's not Mole at all. Her name's Elizabeth. Isn't, um, isn't also Mole a generic word? for people in the sex trade or, or for yes for the, so, people in the sex yeah. trade or sort of uh, slightly kind of almost maybe underworldy kind of yeah but definitely yeah. if you were called mole there was a good chance that you were in some dodge. way no not, not <laughs> no, dodge but no? in some okay. way um linked to to the sex trade absolutely yeah. okay so yeah so it's quite a, a a good way of, of measuring that um but her real name is elizabeth adkins but we don't know her as that we know her as mole okay. king and mole king is not a very uncommon name you know it's it's not the kind of thing where there's only going to be one in history and in fact there's two very close together within about 20 years mm-hmm. I mean, literally within 20 years their times would have crossed over they were born about 20 years apart oh, okay um and so sometimes the mole king that we're going to talk about today her story gets conflated with the story of another mole king who seems to have been a bit of a pickpocket a fence um, yeah. possibly the person upon whom um, Daniel Defoe's Mole Flanders is based as well. Ah, so uh-huh. some people then say it's about this Mole King, but actually it's not really. Right. It's, it's the other one. Anyway, so if you read some accounts of, of it, it'll be like, oh, and she was this big pickpocket and she was, a uh, you know, violent and she went to court loads and got transported. No, not this one. Not this no. one. Okay. But people don't make that distinction, which is frustrating because it's not quite the same story. Anyway, um. So our mole king, Elizabeth mm-hmm. Atkins, was a, a very well-known member of London's Georgian era. Now, I'm not going to say society because she definitely wasn't society <laughs> at all. But what she was is she lived pretty much most of her life in and around Covent Garden. Uh-huh. And everybody knew her. Everyone knew Mole King. She was fascinating. She was a businesswoman, a proprietor, and sometimes a little bit law-breaking. 
Right. Um, and, and definitely not somebody who you wanted to mess with. You know, she's a formidable woman. Like, I think any women in the 1700s, if you are in business, you've, you've got, got to have some gumption about you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's no, you're not going to be a pushover. Um, and Mulking certainly isn't a pushover. So the, like I said, there's loads of myths surrounding her. There's stories about affairs with dangerous criminals and this, that and the other. And most of that is is the other Mulking or possibly just some kind of heightened version of, of our Mulking. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, like I say, so there's, there's a few of them knocking around. Um, and the, in fact, even during her lifetime, these pickpocketing rumours came up and she it was very clear. And in fact, that just after she died, there was a book written about her, or not really a book, a pamphlet, let's say. Yeah. Um, and in it, it said, oh, no, no, that was completely not her. And it was literally discredited as she died, essentially. Everyone's going, no, it wasn't her at all. So who was she? Well, she was born in 1696 on Vine Street, which has since been renamed uh-huh. very creatively to Grape Street, which I rather oh. like. Vine <laughs> <laughs> to Grape. <laughs> And if anyone knows the Covent Garden area, there is a theatre called the Shaftesbury um, Theatre, just to the north of Covent Garden. It's where I think Mrs. Doubtfire's on at the moment, I think is there. Anyway, uh-huh. the street that runs just behind the theatre, that's Grape Street. Right. So it's in the St. Giles area. St. Giles was known, as you know, Fiona, and I think we've discussed quite a few times on the podcast. Yeah. It's a slum area. It's not yeah. rich. It's it's a very poor area. Um her father was a shoemaker. Her mother sold fruit and veg in Covent Garden from mm-hmm. a barrow. Mm-hmm. And that's what Mole did as well. She actually was, I say, that's what she did. She started out um, in service. So going into, you know, service in, in a house, somebody's servant. And I don't know what exact servant she was, but she found it so boring <laughs> that she basically just went, nap, not doing that anymore. And she went back to Covent Garden. And, you know, her mum probably would have gone, go into service. It's a really good career. You know, you... you all that sort of thing. She was like, nah, stuff nah. it. So she went back to selling from a barrow okay. in Covent Garden. Yep. Which I think is quite interesting. Most people would probably go the other way. Yeah. But like I, I said this on my Harlots tour before, for women in the 1700s, there aren't that many options. If you're aristocratic or higher, high, you know, high society, your one job is to marry and breed. That's yep. it. You're a, you know, it's a stud farm. If you're in the lower echelons of society, you go into service or you're a washerwoman. Yeah. That's mostly it. And and you will get married in that. That, you know, that will be an expectation of you. Um, you'll probably, you you might then stay at home. But, you know, the only options really were, um, yeah, washerwoman or service. So actually selling fruit, veg and Covent Garden is going to be a bit of a step down from, from the service. But if you want to do something other than those things your choices are limited and you've really got to push for it yeah so this is and presumably what Mulking does. it's uh like selling the fruit and veg it's it's less secure than service but it's a lot more on your own terms yeah absolutely a lot so, more freedom to it yeah um and she would have served everybody going through there so you're in the heart of uh the theater district you're not far from the royal area so you've got it's it's a it's a melting pot you yeah. know there's everybody coming in from all over the place so she gets to know everyone who comes past she gets to know the aristocrats the courtesans of which there are many because mm-hmm. this is covent garden was slap bang in the middle of what was known as the sexual superhighway Ooh, running through london nice. running from the city of london over to sort of into st james's park and that kind of way and covent garden is you know at the heart of all of this so yeah. 
you've got all your quarter stands. Every drunken ne'er-do-well, she's going to know their names. She'll know them all. They'll be buying fruit and veg from her. And this is going to work out very nicely for her later. So she she basically creates her reputation uh-huh. through all of this. Um, now, she marries the guy that she gets her name from, King, uh-huh. uh, Tom King, in 1717. Uh-huh. So she'd have been about 20, 21. Yeah. So this is where she takes the name King. So the name Moll, there are, and again, it's tricky to know what is true and what isn't for her and whether it's the other Moll King. But there's a chance that she probably was in prostitution at some point. You know, we, we don't quite know. But yeah. the name Moll is a good indication that maybe at some point, who knows. Um, so she married Tom King and Tom is uh, actually from rather good breeding. He's a very oh. different kettle of fish. He's the son of a baronet, no less. Ooh. And he'd gone to Eton and then Ooh. King's College, Cambridge. Okay. And at this point, it all goes a little bit wrong. He basically <laughs> either <laughs> drops out or is expelled. One of the two. Right. But either way, he leaves under a bit of a cloud and he, he sort of falls from grace. So he heads to Covent Garden and, you know, kind As of dumps do. his aristocratic background or whatever this is where he meets mole yeah and she seems to be a bit of a beauty and she has read a few accounts where it pretty much says she can have her pick of the men you know they're all falling at her feet and she's obviously quite charismatic as well yeah um because she's she's like i say she's got some gumption about her so tom falls for her tom is known in the area as smoothed faced tom Okay. Which I find rather entertaining. Yes. Now I was trying to I was trying to sort of think what what that might indicate, and I don't know if that's an indication that he's from a sort of an aristocratic background or, Could, or a higher yeah. society, untouched by weather, kind of you know indoors, mm. or, or or is it yeah. just that he he's not growing a beard, he's kind of youthful and exactly. I'm not quite sure. I've only ever just read that description of him, but never been you know found a, a physical description of yeah just okay smoothed smoothed face so i don't know whether yeah well that that also whether, whether it was about shaving and it kind of suggests i mean this is if you take it as not a physical description it suggests someone who's kind of um like honest faced to me like he's yeah, uh, like either a kind of smooth talker or you know that that they're um kind of good at smoothing their way yeah. through maybe might be a bit of a charmer yeah I mean, charmer that's the word i'm looking for yeah Interesting. yeah yeah so i don't quite know what to take from that but definitely he, he he sticks out you know enough to give himself a nickname and i imagine him almost as this slightly kind of cherubic looking aristocratic guy who doesn't quite fit in but also does because he's not he's sort of eschewing all of that and mm-hmm. Um, and and he's also a raging alcoholic. Um, oh, okay. So he's that smooth face yeah, is going to no. last for fairly long. <laughs> nah. Anyway, they have they have a kids. They have a, a a son called Charles, and um, he's their only child. He's named in in Mole's will actually. And there are stories too that he was educated at Eton, but there's no evidence of that. And I, I don't really know how they would have afforded that. Uh-huh. And it's probably that his his dad's sort of educational history is kind of being shoved onto him, if you like. Yeah. And people are extrapolating yeah. we don't know i don't really know too much about charles to be honest Eton I, might I, have been less expensive back then as well maybe uh, maybe but it still know. would have been very incredibly expensive for a couple who are living and working on covent garden because when yeah. they get together in fact they get together break up and then they get back together again when they get back together they start a stall selling nuts <laughs> okay. so that's not gonna be you know raking the in the largest cash. income no but it's clearly doing very well for them because 
very shortly afterwards, they could afford to rent uh, a premises from the Duke of Bedford mm-hmm. at £12 a year. Oh, okay. Now, I did look at the at the conversion for this, and, and the £12 a year seems to equate to about two and a half k a year, which isn't a huge amount in today's money. No. But it was little more than a shack. I mean, it, if you think about Covent Garden Piazza now, the Duke of Bedford laid it out. Um, but the way that we have it with the lovely market, with the roof in the middle, these beautiful houses around the outside, it wasn't like that in the 1700s. It was, yes, you had your market in the middle, but it wasn't a permanent building. And around the edges, it was kind of lean-tos and shacks and almost like kind of pop-up things. Um, and it's not until the 1800s, is it, where the Bedfords decide they're going to you know, knock it all down, build these amazing Ooh. houses and then you know, yeah. sell them off for tons of money. Yeah. So at the time, it would have been very kind of low rise and very, uh, yeah, sort of higgledy-piggledy, really. So they, they rent this shack from him, uh, but it does the job. And they create Tom King's Coffee House. Uh-huh. Now, obviously, it's got Tom King's name on it. Like I say, he's an alcoholic and pretty much mole takes over the running and she is brilliant at it it's a roaring success they start to sell coffee tea chocolate to anyone and everyone and because they're so well known in the area mole knows everybody from her time working on the barrows which they've done from a very very young age tom's got a lot of high status contacts who are you know waffling through the yeah. place um it it becomes incredibly popular and it starts to be known as king's college which i rather yeah. like Yes. No relation to the university no, at all. No, no, But because you get all of these big, you know, big names. I mean, we've got people like uh, Henry Fielding, Alexander Pope, William Hogarth. Yeah. A lot of the kind of big minds, big thinkers of the day, they're going there. And when they start to st- serve booze as well, this just increases their reputation. So King's College. Yeah. You know, people and, are going there and discussing. And, and also, don't the, like the... the coffee houses generally some of them are known as penny universities so it's a it's a kind of equivalent yes, of that so that's that's a lovely yeah, yeah. i like yeah. that it's the sort of place where people can congregate and, and talk things over and and especially in that area like i say you know you're in the middle of theater land you're in the middle of westminster you've got the royal and the political powerhouse you've got a lot of people with influence and you've got a lot of creativity there you've got a lot of, of, of big minds who want to get together and chat about stuff and so that's what yeah. we do so they start selling booze and then they start opening in the small hours. Now, think about the, it as a market. You've got the market traders who will be there from the small mm-hmm. hours starting to trade. Um, and so they open to take advantage of that business there. And then very quickly, they pretty much go 24 hours. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's running most of the day and night. And like I say, Tom's an alcoholic. So Mole, she doesn't drink at all. She runs the place she stays sober to keep an eye on things mm-hmm. I mean, she may she may have drunk a bit but she basically she stays sober she keeps an eye on it she's you know turning away the the, the tricksy ones she's stopping fights because you could get into a lot of trouble if you were running a place that was you know rowdy and and people are falling out of the um the place drunk yeah you can get into quite a bit of trouble yeah um and she served anyone and everyone from the road sweepers to interestingly king george the second now, King George II, as far as I'm aware, I don't know how many times he went, but as far as I'm aware, th- there's definitely one time that we know <laughs> of, um, because it's quite an entertaining okay. time. He turns up at, 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 at um, Tom King's coffee house, sits down, starts drinking whatever he's drinking, and then he basically starts making eyes at somebody's girl <gasps> so that someone's with. Ooh. Now, the King George II, was he was a little bit of a player, he, you know, whatever. But he starts making eyes at somebody. The guy who is with this girl 
doesn't recognise the king and basically asks him outside for a fight. <laughs> <laughs> so the king scarpers, he leaves, which yep. is probably in, in your best interests <laughs> with self-preservation to do that. Anyway, um, and there's a little um, little paragraph that I want to read you from a, a kind of a report of the time, um, which talks about the people going to the the coffee house it says as night waned the company that drifted in became extremely various noblemen in the first bow as in you know the handsome fop type things mm-hmm. after leaving court would go to mole kings in full dress with swords and bags in rich brocaded silk coats so that the mm-hmm. chimney sweeper the pickpocket the maudlin peer were often <laughs> to be seen in the same seat together at dawn, over the heads of the market women, a drunken young dandy might be observed riding home on the roof of his sedan chair. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. <laughs> and it's so popular that Henry Fielding even says of it, he says, what rake is ignorant of King's Coffee House? So yeah. everyone knows it. It's, you know, one of the, there's a couple of coffee houses. The Bedford Coffee House is another big one on Covent Garden Piazza. Um, so yeah. important that it actually writes its own, um, two lots of its own um, sort of, um, accounts, memories, if you like. Uh huh. Um, but Kings is is up there as one of it's, yeah. I was going to say of the, that are of the West End ones. ones. That's that's one of the one. I, I don't know mm. a lot about it, but it's I, it's the one I've heard bits it's about. Kind of yeah. It's definitely yeah. Um, and it, it grew. They were they were so popular that it grew. It, you had the long room, which was the main space, and then there were two smaller spaces that were used for kind of gambling and like little parties and things like that. And inside, it was decorated to very much whet the appetite for the sort of thing that might be in the area. Oh, I say, the kind of extracurricular fun that uh, you might be yes. able to to find around um, over the fireplace. We... Go on. No, sorry, I was going to say, do we, we know where it was, presumably? Yes, did you... well, so, yes. Um, there is a painting that Hogarth did of it, um, Hogarth, that notorious fun sponge, I always, th- I think I've, <laughs> I've mentioned him before, he is a fun sponge though, isn't he, come on, He's, he sort of, he moralises about everything, and you see people going out and having fun with gin or whatever, and he starts going, oh, and mm. writing a, you know, or drawing a, a picture to sort of ward you off all the fun stuff. He must have been, been a hoot at parties. Anyway. And, then, and then there was his dad who opened a coffee shop where you had to speak Latin. Really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, there it you was, go. That tells you everything a success. you know <laughs> I can imagine. Non-successorum or whatever. Mm, anyway, yeah. um, what was I saying? So, yeah, so in this uh, painting by Hogarth or etching, whatever you want to call it, um, he did a series of four, um, and it was called something like the Four Times of the Day. Um, uh-huh. And you know how he he did these oh, yeah. series like where you go through stuff, yeah. and so it was the four times of the day: morning, afternoon, morning, noon, afternoon, and evening. I think, or something like that. The morning one, he had Tom King's Coffee House in it, but he's moved it. Uh, okay, he put it in front of. Uh, St Paul's Church on Covent Garden because yep. it looked nicer, but actually it was on the southern side. I, from what I've I've looked at, I believe it was around where the Ivy is today, where the kind of Pizza Hut used to be. Okay. Oh yes. So at the top of Southampton Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might yep. have been a little bit further over to where towards where the London Transport Museum is. Okay. But somewhere along that somewhere side, on that I, side. I, I believe it was kind of where the Ivy. Yeah, the ideas today. Yes. Anyway, sorry, um, I interrupted you just as you were about to tell us about the exciting decoration. Yes. Much more interesting. Go, go back to the decoration. So, the exciting decoration. Oh my goodness. So, um, one one of the pieces that I know was in there over the fireplace was uh, an image of a monk and a nun 
engaging in what I'm going to refer to as slightly less than Christian behaviour. Um, it was particularly obscene. Okay. Yeah. So mm. that's fun. Yeah. Uh, so you can basically go in there and be like, well, hey. Now, I should say, you know, it's a, all of these revelers, these late night revelers who are coming in and, and having a great old time. It is not, you, you can imagine that it's not a great leap to go from this sort of 24 hour coffee house, boozery, all this sort of stuff to a brothel. Right. There were so yeah. many brothels in the area. It's what the area is known for. But um, they don't do this. Mole King decides absolutely not. She's very aware. So brothels were technically illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, there were so many and they were often, as long as you were res- like respectable in terms of, you know, you're not kind of haven't got loads of drunken patrons falling out of the street and causing noise and all this sort of stuff. If you went pretty much under the radar, yeah. you'd mostly be okay. okay. Um, because bear in mind, a lot of the people who are visiting these brothels mm-hmm. are the same magistrates and police who are going to be having you up on charges. So yeah. you've got a bit of wiggle room often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what you did find is there were quite a lot of uh, sort of evangelical reforming societies who would go around and honey trap or send in informants and and try and kind of catch you out at stuff okay um in you know and then try and get you basically brought up on a, on a charge of some yeah. description now mole's very aware of this and she is of course on covent garden piazza if you're off down a little side street and you've got a discreet brothel you're probably a bit better off and mole's yeah. like i'm on the piazza it's pretty cra- crazy it was there were you know fights were known to spill out all this sort of stuff if she didn't have a brothel there they couldn't get her on anything yes that sounds and good they tried sense. they did try these reforming societies did send in spies informants trying to get her on something and they couldn't really yeah um a little bit later she, she is brought up on charges of um well, kind of causing a nuisance with some fights and stuff we'll, we'll come to that but one of the things that she saw is this loophole of look i'm not going to be a brothel but i'm i'm going to help people <laughs> find what they want yeah she had they didn't have any beds there at all well, i lie actually they did have one bed and it was their bed tom and Mar's uh, bed yeah and what where it was it was upstairs in the kind of attic and the only way you can access it was by pulling down with a rope pulling a trapdoor down to get into it right um and so she hid it essentially from her patrons so that nobody could use it yeah and yeah. then she couldn't wasn't in hot water for anything yeah which is pretty good um but there are plenty of brothels nearby so lots of the the working girls would go and have coffees in there mm-hmm. in, in the coffee shop so they're around yeah um and there were actually ways you could tell um how one of the girls was available for hire right and i'm going to tell you that after the short break Okay, so we are back on Mole King's Coffee House in Covent Garden. So I was talking about how she was getting, there was this loophole where she was amazingly able to, you know, not get arrested for being a brothel. But the girls would be at the coffee house and there was a way that you could spot uh, a a sex worker who was available. The girls would go and they would sip um, a, a milky coffee called a cappuccino. Oh, okay. I wonder where we get this from. Yeah? Uh-huh. And it's a coffee that's that's cut with cream. Basically, it's um, you know, the coffee was quite, quite thick and sludgy and quite grim. And especially if you're nursing something for a while, you know, you want it to be a, a larger drink than just a small coffee. So they'd cut it with cream, and they would sit there. And sipping a cappuccino would mean mean that you were available for hire. Uh-huh. So think about that next time you go to cafe. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Having a nice cappuccino from Starbucks and uh, just think about the message you're putting out there. Anyway, um, 
so if they if, if your punters if they wanted uh somebody in particular or something um that wasn't available at the, at the coffee house then she could help source uh one of the girls and the servants would then take them off to a nearby establishment with beds for hire and of course yeah. you know Malkin would get a cut and all this yeah, and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. she's making business out of it she's... without making business absolutely so. Very clever. Yeah. Yeah. She can't be charged with running a brothel or a boarding house. Yeah. But it was referred to by, I think, Hogarth as a place that was open to all gentlemen to whom beds were unknown. So basically, if you, you know, needed a a bed for your exploits, she'd she'd sort you out. She'd find, essentially. Yeah. And like I say, reforming. Sorry, did you have a question? Uh, No, no. I was just. Okay. slowly catching up <laughs> it's breathing heavily yeah uh you don't want to do that doing this one <laughs> <laughs> so um i mentioned there's these reforming societies and they they'll try they keep trying to put her up on something and, and it's it's not happening but they are a bit worried that they're going to get caught for something so they developed their own language and it was called talking flash Okay. Now I have tried because we have talked about the caravan club before. Yeah. And that there was a language that was um, invented to, again, be able to talk so that the police couldn't understand you. Okay. This is the same thing. Um, so yeah, it was, it was called Talking Flash and I've not been able to find any examples of it. Uh, there does seem to be one very weighty uh, academic document, which I cannot get access to. And would probably be far more than I ever needed to read, but but basically it was a it, it was a form where any, you know anybody listening in who doesn't speak it is it's going to be incomprehensible. Yeah, it, it was a, a bit similar. There was um another language or, or what they refer to as a cant uh-huh. that was used by thieves to avoid capture, and that goes back to fourteen fifteen hundred. Oh, okay, it's the same sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Even I mean, develop your own language. Cockney rhyming you know. slang poss- it seems like same yeah. same kind of yeah. So Absolutely. there must have been so many Absolutely. different like almost dialects around London yeah uh, back yeah. then would have been wonderful wouldn't it just to yeah, yeah listen in and be like oh this is amazing and it'd be so amazing to walk down the street and be like listening here you can think I don't I can't I, it sounds like it's English yeah. but I don't I don't know what they're saying it'd be <laughs> weird yeah which if you get someone with a really thick accent of whatever sort well, it can be a bit like that anyway yeah. but um, yeah it's quite nice to, to listen to um, I want to go back to the Hogarth picture okay um, briefly actually so I, I mentioned that he features this coffee shop in the morning one of the four times a day um and on it and again we'll put a picture up on the blog and probably on social media as well um there's a woman in her finery she's walking past the front of the coffee house um you can so you've got st paul's church so this is not st paul's cathedral i should add for people who don't know london that well st paul's church known as the actors church um beautiful beautiful place right on covent garden piazza um, if you've been, it's where often there's lots of street performers um, at the front of it, underneath the columns. Yeah, big, it's, it's big spot, columns, actually. big portico. It doesn't really look like a church, does yeah. it? It looks like a sort of goth, uh, no. a sort of arch. Yeah, it was like arch. a theatre space, kind of, you know, yeah. natural kind of theatre space. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they, they've got St Paul's in the background and then they've got Tom King's Coffee House in front. And you can see just inside the door of the coffee house, there's a massive brawl going on. Okay. Uh, and then outside, there's well, there's snow on the roof as well with mm-hmm. icicles hanging off it too. Mm-hmm. So in front, at the very front part of the picture, there's a little child, I think it's a girl, um, with a fire, just warming her hands on the fire. And behind her are two young rakes. Right. And they've tumbled out onto the street with their prostitutes of the day. And they've just sort of tumbled out and they're, you know, busy necking before heading off and doing whatever um 
so that is Hogarth's interpretation of Mole King's Life coffee house. At, yes. Which may or may Which... not be 100% accurate. I don't know. It sounds pretty... Sounds plausible from what you said. From location. Yeah. yeah, it sounds plausible, definitely. Now, one thing I really like about Mole King is that she has just, uh, she has visions of grandeur right. herself. She has always dreamt of owning a large house in the countryside. And she was going the right way about it. The coffee shop was doing so well that in the end, she actually got it. Tom was able to build a couple of large houses in Haverstock Hill near York Farm. Now, today, that's what we would class as pretty central. But back in the day, yeah. that was countryside. countryside. Yeah. And it became known as Mole King's Folly, uh, which I remember. Okay, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were built in 1739 and Tom King died in the same year. Right. So he, his drinking got the better of him and over he goes. He's buried in St. Paul's Churchyard in Covent Garden. Okay. Which I yeah. Like. Now, Mole then actually does turn to drink. And I don't know if it, if that if we can read too much into that or if it was just the case of she stayed sober because her husband was such a drunkard that she, she had to. to or maybe she was depressed. I mean, yeah. we, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Um, but she starts to drink and things start to get a bit rowdier at the coffee right. shop. She keeps it going, though. It still bears his name. Or I mean, well, it's theoretically known as Mole King's Coffee House. It's now just referred to as King's Coffee yeah. House. Um. And there are a few stories that she would try to rip patrons off a little bit. If they were really drunk, she'd scatter broken crockery around their table and they'd be like, you broke this and charge them for the damage and just sort of assume they're going to be too drunk to notice, which I think is very enterprising, if not entirely above board. And pretty much a year, almost exactly after her husband dies, Mole marries again. Uh She keeps her name of King. There's definitely, you know. It's a good brand uh, by then. It's good branding. Yeah, exactly. Um, she marries a guy called John Hoff, and there's a little bit of speculation that he's after her money. There's not any real evidence of that, okay? Um, because he dies only four months later and leaves her everything. <laughs> okay, so, so maybe the other way around. Yeah. If anything, I mean, no, maybe the knows? other way around potentially. <laughs> well, I mean, she's doing well for herself. Yeah. Anyway. He's also in St Paul's Church. Uh-huh. He's buried there too. But what is interesting is that mole enacts the he leaves everything to her she's the only person but she enacts the will before he's even buried oh okay so make of that what you will but she's definitely was it a big legacy do we know or i don't think it was small Uh i mean i don't think it was i don't get i haven't read anywhere that it was enormous she left a, a a big fortune when she died but most of that, I would hazard a guess, was, was her from, own work. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, but um, it was definitely nothing. It was definitely wasn't nothing. Okay. Um, but I, I have to say, I've not been able to find any exact details about how well she did out of that. Um, and a couple of months after he died, there's a a disturbance that gets into the newspapers at King's Coffee House. There's um a young gentleman brings her well the, brings the case up to the court of the king's bench and he says that Mole has beaten him inside her coffee house um and she was told before this you're going to be fined 200 pounds oh okay that which, which is, is hefty a significant amount of yeah. money yeah. yeah um and she had to promise that she was basically going to behave in the future and she's going to be held in prison until the fine is paid and Mole could have paid it. Okay. She could have paid yeah. it. And she was like, I'm not paying it. And she goes to prison <laughs> and she says, and I absolutely love this. She goes, and I'm going to do a really dodgy cockney accent now. Go on, love go for it. If I was to pay £200 to all the insolent boys I had thrashed for their impudence, the Bank of England would be unable to furnish me with the cash. <laughs> 
So she's basically saying, yeah, of course. Of course I'd He came him. into my coffee shop. He was a nightmare and I gave him a walloping. Yeah. Why wouldn't I? I do that all the time, which is brilliant. Um, prison doesn't seem to really have phased her too much. Her nephew uh, runs the coffee shop in her absence uh-huh. and she hangs out in prison, seemingly able to bribe the guards quite a lot for lots of home comforts and things. Okay. Which I think yeah. is rather fun. And again, they may well have been people she knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all local. Yeah. You know. Do we know which prison? I'm not 100% sure. No, but I mean... There, but there were, were quite quite a lot around that area, so... Yeah. And they were quite different to modern prisons as well, yeah. so let's yeah, say it absolutely. might not have been a... I mean, yeah. Yeah. And essentially, she was just like, oh, I'm not paying it. I'm not paying 200 quid. <laughs> um, so eventually... eventually it... Yeah, well, yeah, sorry. Well, so eventually, yeah, she she kind of bartered them down and she ended up paying 50 pounds oh well that's um, so a quarter which is pretty yeah. pretty good yeah, yeah. Um, i don't know how she managed to do that but gift of the gown people in high places who knows, who knows yeah and then eventually she gave it all up and she retired to her lovely house in north london and, and when she made her will she does refer to herself as moll hoff uh-huh um so her second husband's name of the parish of st paul's covent garden and her will said Everything that I own is being left to my my son, my yep. only child. Um, but it has to be kept in trust for him until he reaches thirty. Uh huh. And if he doesn't reach thirty, my entire estate is to be given to help the poor children of the Covent Garden area. Oh. Now Good I have to say her. I don't know what happened to her son. Yeah. So I don't know whether he got the pretty sizable fortune. Yeah. Or whether it was. But I love that you know she came from really poor a poor family in Covent yeah. Garden. And girl come good. Yeah. And, Very interesting. And, and there's, there's, it, it does seem that the Georgian sex trade, whether, so one of the figures that I often quote is that one in five women mm. um, at the time was either directly, directly or tangentially involved in the sex trade in London in that era. And, and let's just clarify, we're not talking one in five women in Covent Garden, are we? We're talking. No, in, in, in London, London, the whole of London. Whole, so yeah. That's yeah. it. At some point in their lives, whether or not, you know, their entire life at some point, but one in five. Um, and it was, as I said earlier, you know, one of the only options where you had relative freedom, yeah. which is quite interesting. And there's a, a, a significant seam of women who do very, very well out of it. Um, often, you know, starting out as a sex worker themselves and then going on to be a, um, a board, which is... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, someone who owns a, a baldy house basically uh, owns a brothel yeah uh, and they were often known as mother mother something or other <laughs> there's quite a few sort of famous mother mother douglas and people like that who were very famous um and i get the impression very shrewd very well. business ladies oh yeah all of them kind of very shrewd on a variety of different formats yep. um <laughs> both health of their girls and um you know the the, the, the company that they would allow into the houses mm-hmm. and you know all sorts of stuff i mean there, there's I could go on for this for hours. I find it a fascinating <laughs> topic, but um, you know, there's there's mothers or or, or um, boards who very much put a lot of effort into keeping their girls healthy and into yeah. contraception early and rudimentary as it is, and things like that. So, um, and there are others, of course. You know, there's, there's the little book that I think I've spoken about before. It caters for everybody and everything. Yeah. Um, and of course, the pox is a big thing in the time. So you know, syphilis. So if you have the pox, you're going to want to find. Um, a girl who has already got the pox you don't really want to spread it around too much so there's there's <laughs> catering for everything you know um, yeah just finding your market yeah. and absolutely yeah and, and, and Mole would have known who and where yeah so she would have been yeah right at the forefront of it all yeah 
should have known. Wow. And and it is so such a thought- such a different feeling about Covent Garden than like you said right at the beginning that that yeah. we kind of get nowadays strolling through. Um, yeah. yeah. Quite she she you know well-heeled area it's it's it's, it's not that. At no. All. Now she dies in 1747 and okay. very shortly after I mean literally within a a matter of months in the same year there's a pamphlet pamphlet <laughs> A pam- oh my goodness! A pam- pam- pamphlet published. Pam- pam- pamphlet oh. published. Oh, it is quite tough. Thank you. A pamphlet. <laughs> pamphlet published. A pa- <laughs> pamphlet was published. There we go. So pamphlet, and it was called. That's not a, a word anymore. Title. Sorry, but you say it often enough. It's pamphlet. That's no way. Is that pamphlet a word? Not a word. No, it doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Um, but the pamphlet is called The Life and Character of Mole King, Late Mistress of King's Coffee House in Covent Garden, published anonymously in 1747, shortly after her death. And that's the name of, of the, the thing. And it is anonymous, but it is said to be by one of her regular patrons. Okay. Um, and I'm just going to read the sort of intro or, or I guess like the synopsis for it. Yeah. Um, which... So that's the the title of it. And then this is the synopsis that comes after it. Containing a true narrative of this well-known lady from her birth to her death, wherein is inserted several humorous adventures (laughs) relating to persons of both sexes who were fond of nocturnal revels. Also, the flash dialogue between Mole King and Old Gentleman Harry that was some years murdered some years ago murdered in Covent Garden and the pictures of several noted family men drawn to the life. <gasps> to the whole is added an epitaph and elegy wrote by one of Mole's favourite customers and a key to the flash dialogue. Ah. Now, you're going to ask who old gentleman Harry is who got murdered. Can I find no. anything about him? Can I echo like? No. No. I've done a bit of digging. I'm probably going to have to go in deep into some archives if I want to find out, but he does sound good. Yeah. Um, and and th- is, do we have the rest of the pamphlet or we just have that title page surviving? I'm sure there's a pamphlet somewhere. Because that would have the, the um, flash, uh, it might the flash be a, dictionary thing. That we, we... It might be a QR archives number. Yeah. I might have to go and have a bit of a rummage in QR archives yeah. at some point. Um, yeah. So I think that's really fascinating. And and I in in that pamphlet they dis well they they um not disprove but they throw out the the questions of her being a pickpocket yeah. and offence and all this sort of stuff and, and in it they basically say no that you got the wrong one. Yeah. You know. So I, I'm going to take what that pamphlet is saying because clearly it was written by somebody who knows yeah. her, knew her very well, and wanted to pay tribute to her. Um, which I think is lovely. And she's also buried in St. Paul's in Covent Garden as well. Oh, which I think is nice. With we, both of um, individually, with, I was going to say, um, what's the arrangement between the three of them? I do don't know what the geographical <laughs> arrangement is. I think we need to do a little bit of a, a visit maybe to the church and see if we can't find out. Yeah. Yeah. Which would be rather fun. Yeah. So there we go. So that's yes. Mole King. I just find her really interesting. I think it, I'm, I'm always fascinated by these women who go out there and. and you know, fight against the odds. And I just think I would have loved to have met her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She's... Yeah. And that whole thing that, that like her story kind of opens a door to a, to another mm. world, which geographically same place it is now, but, um, whole, you know, a few hundred years ago, whole different so ballgame. different. Yeah. And I should yeah. say at some point this year, I am going to be running some more tours. I am going to be doing my Harlot store again. So if you do want to come and do that, I'll probably run some over the summer because um, it's one of my favourites. I think it's fascinating. And I read from um, the little book, the Covent Garden book. Uh, no, what's it called? I forgot. Book of Covent Garden Ladies. Covent Garden Ladies. Harris's and List. 
Harris's list. Thank you very much. Because the one we... Uh, I haven't done it in a, about a year. Um, and um, <laughs> it's a really interesting kind of who's who in yellow pages of many of your options in and around Covent Garden should you be on the hunt for a little bit of slap and tickle. Well, what's go. not to like? I say it's it's not it's not a walk for the under 18s I'll tell you that now. <laughs> um, no, and presumably... some of those descriptions are incredibly graphic. Yes, yeah. but is there also a kind of grim, grim like? I'm presumably, I mean, some people were doing this very willingly. Maybe some people not so much. Mm-hmm. Presumably, so it runs the gamut. It definitely yeah. does. I would say I err on the lighter side of it. I talk about mm-hmm. it from a position of. Um, well, kind of similar to today, really, sort of choice and options. Yeah. And of course, there are darker sides to it. And there are there's a side of the industry involving children as well, which is pretty grisly. But I don't really go into that because um, that's not sort of focus of it. But I talk about how it empowered lots of women and how London developed. And, and fun fact, most of Marylebone built off the backs of the sex trade no they wouldn't want yeah. you to know that today but there we go no. um so yeah we head up into soho and we look at a variety of different places and talk about a whole heap of different people who are really interesting and we, and we cover things like you know contraception and mm-hmm. sexual health and how that was dealt with um and all that kind yeah. of thing so yeah it's I, I really like it it's fun yeah um but not for the faint of heart if you are easily squeamish about all things a little bit sexy <laughs> That's maybe not one for you, but no. I, I think it's a lot of fun. And we, I, um, it sounds yeah. like a, a, a barrel of... Um, I've, I've got this wrong now. For, for, for whatever reason, I'm sounding like I'm insincere saying this, but I'm not. It wasn't meant to be sarcastic. <laughs> barrel of laughs whatever. is what I was gaming for. I just... I, uh, the, it came out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, whatever. I'll take, I'll take you through at your word. I'll believe you thousands wouldn't. But there we go. So yeah, that's Mole King. And I do mention her on my... Uh, walk because we do go to where i believe her coffee house was fabulous yes well come folks come come to london in the summer and come on the harlot's walk um with alex it is a barrel of laughs i'm gonna say (laughs) and fiona might have to come along as well (laughs) yes i will happily come uh i was gonna say surely surely in covent garden there'd be someone who specializes in dragging people as well uh, in amongst the birching and the flogging and the uh, other things you can find in government. Dragging would absolutely be something that someone wants. So, anyway. <laughs> Whatever your proclivities may be, there is something there for you. Yes. Without a shadow of a doubt. Right, well, that's it for this week. Thank you all for coming along. Um, I hope you're having a lovely time in Portugal. And so do I. also, wherever you are, listeners, <laughs> hopefully, we're all having a lovely week. Whatever yep. we're doing. Powering through January. Yes. Nice and strong. And we'll see you next week. Hear you. Listen. No, you, you'll hear us. You'll we'll be back us. next week. That's the one. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye.